the podcast is about customer service jobs. Um, so you don't have to like. Yes, we've been listening. My husband Aww, and I have been listening thanks. all week. You have such a beautiful voice. Bless you. Thank it's you. so soothing. And I'm like, oh my God, I could listen to her for days. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, your podcast with him is also very funny. And your publicist wanted me to put you guys together. And I was like, no, I want to give them separate opportunities. Oh, hi, you're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kay Gaffney and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, LA-based comic, actor, podcast host, and writer. She doesn't have enough to do. Heather Brooker. Brooker. Am I saying it correctly? Brooker? I will edit this part. Okay, great. Okay. Heather Brooker is an (laughs) Emmy and Webby award-winning LA-based actress and comedian with over 1 million followers on her social media, y'all, and co-hosts a hilarious podcast called Brooker Family Podcast with her equally hilarious husband, Chris, and their 10-year-old daughter. She's appeared in over, y'all, 40 films and television shows, including Grey's Anatomy, Get Out of My DMs, All Y'all Fans, I Don't Want to Hear It, (laughs) The Office, I Have a Thousand Questions, Fresh Off the Boat, The Mindy Project, and so many more. She was the digital entertainment reporter for NBC in Los Angeles, interviewing celebrities and luminaries in Hollywood. Her podcast, Motherhood in Hollywood, won her a Webby Award. And Heather recently spoke at the Girl Up Leadership Summit alongside people you've never heard of, like Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Meghan Markle, about gender equity and body positivity. That said, I better know Heather from her hilarious viral videos and meeting her right now in real time with all of y'all. So Heather, how hard is it to come up with new videos all the time how much do you love being an influencer and what got you into comedy tell us everything oh my gosh um well to be honest like coming up with videos is probably one of the hardest parts is like getting those creative juices flowing but what's exciting is once i get a little nugget of an idea then i'm like oh i can't let it go until i actually see this video come to life Um, But the hardest part, as you know, you're a writer and you're a creator too, like coming up with those ideas, they just sort of hit and you're like, this is the one. Um, And then sometimes they're not. (laughs) Like I I just did the most awkward. I pushed myself outside the box to do something fun for Mother's Day. I did a collaboration with um, Cold Stone Creamery where they have like, you know, you've been to Cold Stone where they mix the ice cream in front of you and all that stuff. I love it. So they have these awesome ice cream cakes. And they were like, oh, we want to partner with you. Let's come up with something fun. And I was like, what can I do? And I was like, I'm going to write a musical. (laughs) Heather. Heather. I I was just like, (laughs) you know, uh, live in the job that you want. So I was like, I want to be a musical. (laughs) So I just wrote myself the cheesiest little like song um, about moms to Frank Sinatra's song, Love. And Oh, it was terrible, but it was so, it was like a train wreck. And they were like, what is this? We love it. So it worked out. <laughs> it worked out. So just coming up with that nugget of idea is sometimes um, the hardest part, you know? Yeah. And then the second part of your question was, how did I get into comedy? Mm-hmm. So when I first moved out to Los Angeles about, I guess it's been about 17 years ago now, um, I had dreams of being in the groundlings man i was gonna be on saturday night live they didn't they weren't gonna know what hit them okay i was ready and i came out here and i was like oh that's hard this is, there's like 
this is going to be hard. There's a years long wait list to get through their classes. And so I was like, um, I'm getting old. I think I was all of 28. 28, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm getting old. My time is passing. And uh, so I went to some other comedy clubs like UCB. There's a, a comedy, now defunct comedy club called Acme Comedy Theater. Do you They're defunct? Acme? Yeah, I didn't know they, were on, they were on La Brea. Yeah, um, yeah. The owner that bought them just ran it into the, the it turned into a rental space, and so I started doing sketch comedy and improv, and I loved doing sketch, and I loved the writing element of it and the control element of it, where I could go, here's where I'm going to laugh, here's where I'm going to joke. And all my life, people have told me like you should do, and this happens to a lot of stand up comics. You should do stand up comedy, like you know. But for me, it was always like, am I a good comic or am I just one of those people that's funny in real life? Those are different things, folks. Those are different things. things. Yes. It's a different skill set. Like, am I one of those people that's like, I can tell a story or can I craft a story and get jokes and beats out of it? So doing that sketch training and like working on that was like, oh, I think I can come up with a beat and then maybe like craft kind of a funny stagey character on top of it or whatever. Um, and then I did eventually go to the groundlings and they promptly were like, I went through the whole program and they were like, you're just not groundlings material, but thank you for your time. And I was like, Oh, flip a table, yeah. give me back my $5,000. And that though, that um, piece, that piece, <laughs> yes, please give me back okay. my $5,000 for wasting my time and not even letting me try. Um, but I'm not bitter. Hashtag. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's when I sort of realized I was like, okay, there's this part of myself that loves to write, that wants to explore this. And I just really needed to sack up and get on the stage and try it. So I took a class with an amazing woman named Judith Shelton. I don't know if you know her, but she's she's so funny and so quirky and so talented. And the her class was so low pressure but it was just got those juices flowing of like starting to write, starting to think like how do comics think? And I know it's cheesy because I've heard comics like big comics say, oh, I never had to take a class. Fuck them. You know? I, yeah. I, but I, it's it's like, so rude. It's like some and some people do. And Taylor Tomlinson took classes. Shut up. Sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Exactly. Yeah. Like some of the biggest comics did take classes, but there's others who kind of look down on it. And I'm like, I'm not ashamed to say that I needed I need structure. That's the kind of the way that I learn. And it's also the way I can build confidence. If I have like some structure and a pattern where I can go, oh, if I apply these skills, then it allows me to be more free creatively. And I can start going, all right, I can push the limits here. I can try this and see what works and what doesn't. So Judith's class sort of kicked that into high gear for me. And I tried it and I started doing comedy for a little while and then I got pregnant and um, having a child sort of flips your world upside down in the best way possible. Why? Why, so why on t- earth would that yeah, change why? anything? I don't know. Weird. <laughs> weird. Oh, weird. It's like a whole other person there demanding your attention. Ugh. It's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about me. Doesn't she know that? Um, she does now. She's 10. So she knows now it's all about me. But like I, um, so I started um, a few years like, Maybe I like a couple of years ago. She's 10 now. So two years ago, I was like, God, I'm really missing what I did with comedy. And I'm really missing that stand up. I'm missing being on that stage and that challenge. Because every night, and people I don't think realize this, every time you get on the stage as a comedian, it you don't know what to expect. You could have the crowd could be 100% behind you and they're all on board. 
or they could immediately hit your face <laughs> and you have to try to win them over. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And you end up walking off your five minute set at three and a half minutes. Like, yeah. I've done that. I <laughs> so get like, it. They hate me. I got to go. I'm just going to give my give my time back to the room, as the senators say. <laughs> Because I know somebody's going to go over the over. So a what? Um, yeah, never. <laughs> so when I reconnected with comedy, there is a place in Burbank. I don't know if you've heard of Chili John's. I have in Burbank. not. They are the oldest continuous running restaurant in Burbank, and they serve the greasiest, juiciest chili. And they put it over spaghetti or on hot dogs, or you can just eat it by itself. Yes, please. Um, so good. So they started doing during the um, like a year or so after the pandemic, um, an open mic, and they have a like a side room. They started doing open mic, and I told Chris, I was like, this feels like a low pressure situation, like comedy in a chili place. Like, let's go check it out. So I brought them with me because we were like, let's have dinner and then let's pop next door and watch comedy. And my eight-year-old sat there and listened to every bro dude talk about his sack, talk about no. having sex. Like, just like the most graphic sex stories and horror stories. All the, you know, a lot of women talking about their periods and masturbation and all this stuff. And my eight-year-old was sitting there like, uh, blink, blink, like just <laughs> wide-eyed, not knowing what they're talking about. And fortunately, after a few of these, I went up to the host and I was like, would you mind bumping me up a little bit so I can get these two out of here? Like, I'm, I totally understand. I don't want to be a pain in the butt, but they just really wanted to come. And he was like, sure, no problem. Super cool guy. I think they also wanted to get me out of there because I can't imagine the comics were looking at my eight-year-old like, what the hell, lady? <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to be the cool mom at the uh, open mics. But that was my first foray back into comedy. And I got a few laughs and I was like, oh, yes, this is why we do it. You know, I wrote something on a piece of paper. I said it out loud and somebody laughed. And there's a, just a thrill in that. So that's sort of how I got back into doing comedy at a chilly place. So after you started talking about your sex life with your husband uh, on stage, mm -hmm. then you're, I'm certain. My daughter was like, wow, uh, into it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I think I'm onto something here, making uh, people uncomfortable, making my child uncomfortable. And I still do. Oh, I love it. Okay. So you got back into comedy then. And then did you find yourself sort of inching back into other rooms and saying like, okay, once that open mic was sort of under your belt, you're like, okay, I'm going to start reaching out to bookers. I'm going to start. Here I go. I did. Well, I was more like I was too afraid to reach out to bookers at that point. I still have like this deep seated insecurity that I think comes from the unknown a little bit in this yeah. business. You know, there's also I feel like a lot of comedy is for younger guys. It seemed like everywhere I went, it was all young white men who were all had the same kind of stories. Ugh. And there just didn't seem to be a place for an older plus size 40 year old mom, you know, and I was like, oh, I don't know if anyone's going to like my joke. So I mostly just stuck to open mics for a long time. And I went to Flappers Open Mic. Um, they have a women's mic on Thursday nights. And it's, it used to be hosted by my amazing friend, Annalise McNeil. And let me tell you, Annalise is one of the most like you want her on your team. She's the most biggest cheerleader, the most supportive. When I showed up, she was like, oh my God, Heather. Like we hadn't connected for a few years. We did improv at UCB. And she was like, oh my God, you have to do comedy. You have to. And I was like, I have to. <laughs> like it just was this like bolster. And like 
this bolster of confidence that I needed. So I kept going back week after week, building up that confidence, building up material, trying new jokes. And that's why I, then I started venturing out to other open mics and other you know experiences. But ultimately, like, that's why women supporting women and being encouraging of other women is so important because I don't know without her encouragement that I would have continued to do it wow. because I was sort of like, I don't know if I'm meant for this. And since then, I she she booked me on my first like official show at Flappers. Um, it was a Christmas show. And she was like, you're so good. You have to keep doing it. So, you know, it. It makes a difference. The words you say and the way you encourage yourself, is, encourage other people, makes a huge difference. And I find that in comedy, that doesn't really happen a lot because comics are so, we're, we get so, I don't know if this has been your experience too, but we get so um, focused and zeroed in on our, our set. Like, I got to say this, I got to say this. I wrote this in the car on the way here. I want to make sure I get this out. And you're focused on your five minutes. You're watching the light. Then you've got the person who booked you like, why didn't you bring more than three people or, you know, whatever. So you get focused and you forget to encourage other comics because they remember that. And like, if I ever get to produce a show, I'm going to call Annalise and be like, yeah, please come do my show, you know? So it does, it does make a difference. So her encouragement, doing the open mics repetitively, that is what gave me the confidence to start reaching out and trying to see if I could book um, other shows. I love that. And you're, and so you're in the circuit now and you're, you're getting out yeah. there. And so um, yes. I want to go back to stuff we know in your bio because people will kill me if I don't ask. <laughs> For Grey's Anatomy, how can they yes. see you? So Grey's Anatomy, I have to remember what season it was on. It was like one of the earlier seasons of the 20 or so that's been on, like, or I think season six, maybe. Okay. But it was, I, it was a smaller part, but it was where um, Dr. Bailey's son was little. And um, she came in and she thought he had been kidnapped because he was nowhere to be found. Nowhere, no one in the daycare knew where he was. And she was panicking. McDreamy was there. McSteamy was there. Dr. Bailey. And it was me. I had taken him up because he had a nosebleed. And I was like, Dr. Bailey, he's right here. What do you mean? And um, it was this like intense drama scene that was resolved quickly. But I got to be on set with all of those amazing people and actors. And they were so lovely. I love hearing that. Okay, got to ask about The Office too. Same question because we got some yes. Office fans in the crew. Uh, t tell me. Yes. So I was lucky enough to shoot The Office twice. The first time I was cut and I was devastated. I would have been too. Devastated. I literally had told everybody. You know, it's that, it's that moment as an actor where you're like, I'm going to be on the biggest show in the world. Like, I, it was like season five. So it was like the height of The Office. Everybody in the planet was watching. And it was truly one of the reasons I moved out to L.A. was because I was like, this is a show that has real people on it that look like me. I want to be on this show. And I manifested it. And I was like, I'm going to do it. So I worked really hard to like make that happen. And I was on it. And I was so excited. So I was playing a waitress when uh, Steve Carell and Amy Ryan's character were having lunch. It was an episode called Business Ethics. And I know we do the business ethics. This yeah, is a, he seminar. was eating lobster or something. Yep. And like he was yep. really mad at her and he made her pay yes. for it. I remember this. Yes. So I was just the waitress in the scene where he orders like a couple of big lobster lunches. You can see it now on the extended cut that Peacock just released. But for years, you could not see my scene anywhere. <sighs> 
Um, and but now you can you can see that scene. And then I was on um, the episode where Jim and Pam had their baby. Uh, it was the when they were going to the hospital. They check in with me in the hospital, and I tell them where to go. And then Steve Carell comes in, and he's like, "I made T-shirts or whatever." <laughs> so I was with Jim and Pam and Steve Carell for that episode, and that was one of the most glorious days. I also got cut from that. I got I'm cut so twice sorry, Heather. because I'm so sorry. they just, I know I was like, it's not meant to be. I'm quitting the business. I'm done. <laughs> done, done. Like, it's just, it's just not happening. But the reason was NBC, because they knew this was going to be a huge ratings juggernaut, decided to take the delivery part one and the delivery part two and make it an hour long special of shows. So they trimmed off the buttons on each of the shows um, for time and to sell ads. And I was at the end of the show when they come into the hospital to have the baby. So it was an easy cut, but it was such a bummer. But you can watch that also, thankfully, on the extended cuts now on Peacock. So I'm like, proof! I was on the show! (laughs) I didn't For years, all all I had was a picture of me and Steve Carell in a parking lot and me and John Krasinski in like a hospital you know, area. And like, uh, nobody believed me. So I was like, I have proof. I swear I was on these shows. I love it. Um, I, I'm sorry to hyper fixate on those, but I know that some of our regular listeners would kill me if not. Yeah. And then no, just, I totally get it. <laughs> and to wrap up this section. So you've won an Emmy and a Webby. Uh, we know what the Webby was for. Uh, what was the Emmy for? So I've won uh, a couple of Emmys for journalism. Wow. So I, as a writer and producer, I wrote a special, uh, a half hour, what was an hour long special, not half hour, an hour long special about the Rodney King riots, the anniversary of the Rodney King riots. So I won an Emmy for writing on that. And then um, because I also worked in news, I've done a lot of coverage with like breaking news. And we had, there was one year where California was literally on fire, the whole state. Do you remember that? We were just on fire out here. And so I... Um, produced and wrote and covered breaking news for that. So I won an Emmy for that coverage as well. Hell yeah. Good for yeah. you. And then you got last question in this section. So you did the Girl Up Leadership Summit mm-hmm. um, with some people. So what was yeah. your, was that through being an influencer or a journalist or an actor? What was your way in with that? I think it, I probably got invited because uh, of all of those things combined, but I was working with um, a company at the time that had sponsored the event And they invited me to come on and speak about gender equity and about body positivity and how to teach young girls. There's Chris. And to teach young girls how to love their bodies and understand about the menstrual cycle and understand the, the taboos that come along with talking about it and not just here in the United States, but all over the world. Mm. So it was Yeah, it was just such a neat experience. Now, it was all over Zoom. So it wasn't like I got to be in the room with those amazing people, but I was on the same like speaker lineup as them. And I just was like, when am I ever going to get this opportunity again? Like, there's no way. But it was just, it's, uh, you know, I'm a big believer. I'm 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 a plus size lady and I love my body and I've always been very comfortable in my body and in my skin. And now I have a daughter and I want her to feel the same way. Like never be ashamed of your body. It is what it is. It's going to fluctuate throughout your life. Like, you know, I used to be much smaller, but I was also an athlete who played competitive soccer and was a cheerleader and played girls football. So like I, you know, different, different times, different body shape. 
But no matter what, I never want her to feel ashamed of her body or ashamed of what it can do in any way in terms of like the natural um, when puberty is coming and the natural things that happen when we menstruate and when our, our breasts grow and like all of that stuff, not to get like, you know, too TMI on your podcast, but like I, I, I was raised to know, think that there was nothing wrong with that. And I still don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think as women, we hide that part of ourselves, like we should be ashamed in some way. And, you know, there's being discreet and being modest, which is different than feeling shame. You know, like you don't have to be like, I'm on my period. <laughs> and like, you know, like, you know, throw tampons every, you know what I mean? You don't have to do that. I mean, if that's your thing, then do it. But you could be discreet about it, but not, you don't have to feel shame. Mm. So I love that. Okay, great. Well, I'm so glad I asked. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to go on to the Andres after a quick break. We're back. And now it is time for the Andres. I've built that in for uh, when I get ads because it's coming. I'm just going to keep manifesting (laughs) it. it. We're manifesting. Manifesting dollars. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, McDonald's Coffee, for sponsoring this next section. Okay. The McCafe. (laughs) Girl. The money of mine they have. Okay, so the this is the section where we ask the same questions. I always start the same way. What was the first job you had where the government was taking taxes out of your money? You can say like babysitting and stuff. We've had that answer. But can you think of a, a first job? Yes. Yeah. I was a gap girl. My first job was when I was 16 years old and I got a job at the Gap. Um, I was at this really bougie um, outdoor shopping center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I'm from. It's called Utica Square. And I worked at the Gap and I folded T-shirts and jeans and dealt with some very wealthy, you know, people who would come in and drop hundreds of dollars on white Oxford button downs and khaki pants And I, to this day, still fold my jeans and my shirts the same way. Really? Talk about lifelong skills. Because it would say there's something so neat about the way that we always folded our, the jeans especially, and they take up less space, but they also look really pretty. So yeah, I worked at The Gap. I was a Gap girl. Okay, now uh, shout out to former guest Ithamar Enriquez, who worked at a, a Gap in a very fancy area in Chicago. He used to have people condescend to him on the regular. And so I asked if he had like a sneaky way to get them back without being rude to them. So he would like pretend like they were out of a certain size or anything. I know at 16, I doubt you had the chutzpah to mess with the rich people, but no. do you? Ha- no. Okay. Okay. No, I mean, I was pretty, and to be honest, I don't, I have really fond memories of that job because I also made some really good friends. One of my friends from high school also got a job there. And then um, we met another girl who went to another high school. There was, we were, it was all high schoolers. People don't realize like when you go into a lot of these retail and apparel stores, especially it's high schoolers that you're dealing with 16, 17 year olds, maybe 18 year olds. And so we were just there having fun. Like we were not trying to go above and beyond. Like they wanted us to meet their sales goal of like three items a piece. Everyone has to have socks. Don't forget to recommend socks or a belt with that outfit. So we would always be like, do you want a belt with that? And they're like, no. And we're like, okay. (laughs) You know, like even at a young age, I think we all realize like, this is not the money we're making. Like we're, we're not getting paid if they, you know, add a belt or socks or not. 
I was always surprised. I'd be like, would you like to add socks with that? And people go, okay. And I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> that works. $20, but all right. <laughs> and then I just, so I, I mostly just have fond memories of like the friendships that I made and like hanging out with my friends. And I would just spend like half my paycheck at the store. So I would just put it right back into it and buy like a new skirt or some new shoes or whatever. Like it was just a really fun job. And if people were rude, it nothing stood out to my nothing stood out in my mind. It definitely did though when I got started getting jobs in food service. When I started waiting tables, that's when I was like, "Oh, people are people are crappy. Like what yeah. is going on?" Okay, well, let's get into that. So, how many customer service jobs have you had total, would you say? You know, I ha- I wrote it down so I could remember. Um, Tell me. I have worked say seven. Okay, so we yeah. said we started with the gap. What else do we yes. have? I worked at a dry cleaner. Don't oh. recommend. Oh, I have so many Do questions. Not. Okay, keep going. It was horrible. Okay. I worked at a dry cleaner. Um, I worked at a Texas-themed steakhouse. Mm. Um, I worked at a bagel shop in college and I got fired from. Yes, we're going to talk um, about that. Okay. I worked at a very high-end restaurant in Stillwater, Oklahoma, where I went to college. But it was, um, the yeah, also not great. Um, <laughs> I worked at a Starbucks inside of a Barnes & Noble. Oh, wow. And then um, I was a tram tour guide at Universal Studios. Oh, now. the capital of L.A. Shout out to Kristen Wiig, who also did that. Did okay. she really? She sure did. It's that. one of the ways she started. Oh. Mm-hmm. She was doing it while she was doing Groundlings, which I don't know how she did both. Okay. So that is our seven. I want to micro fixate on a couple of these. Dry okay. cleaner. Were you around Ugh. the smells and the chemicals and the whatever? Yeah. No, I was in the front. I was in the front okay. checking people in. So people would bring in their dirty, stanky clothes and just everything. And we had to dig through their pockets to make sure there was nothing that oh. was going to like mess up the machines. Sure. And we had to like mark the stains, which is disgusting. And now I, I literally to the point now where if I have a stain on something that I need to take to the dry cleaners, I just throw it away. I don't want to go in there and be like, oh, this is where I bled uh, 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 right here. This is blood, you know, or like, oh, this is where I spilled chocolate down the front of my shirt at Easter. Um, just get rid of that. Like it's disgusting and horrible. And this woman, and, and when you talk about horror stories, this one, <laughs> I was probably about like 19, I think, maybe when I worked there. So, so I was going to ask, okay. You know, young. And this woman brings in a garbage bag, which is never a good sign. No. She brings in a garbage bag and um, she's like, hi, I need to get my couch cushions cleaned. And I was like, oh, okay. So she starts pulling it out and she's like, my cat threw up on this one. And I was like, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, so if you could just mark that. And I was like, Oh god! Oh. She pulled this out, and it smelled so bad. And so I start like marking it with the tape because, like, you have to mark it so they know where to scrub the stains. I just was like, "How do you not just try to clean it at home a little bit first? Yeah, you know? like get like, the chunks out. That. Get the chunks out. Something, but yeah, no. She just brought it. In. She's like, "Oh, my cat threw up on it. Can you get the stain out?" And I was like, oh, "What is my life? What is my life? Get that college degree, so I don't <laughs> have to do this." No, uh, oh. but that was yeah. That was not a fun experience. The dry cleaner. So did really you? Gross. What made you pick that? Because you you said you were in college. I just needed a job. 
I was, you know, I, I do not come from money. I was, my mom was a single mom. We were, um, hashtag poverty and we were, <laughs> shout out we to poverty. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to poverty. Um, I was, we were not wealthy and I needed a job and I've always been a hard worker. Like I've never not worked since I was 16 years old, since I got that job at the gap, because I liked having my own money, but I also have bills to pay. You know, I paid for my own car. I paid for my own rent, everything. So I need a job. And this was during the summer when we were in between, I think between my sophomore year and my junior year. And I had had an internship at the TV station where I was, uh, I was interning at a TV station, which was like across the street. So I got a job at the dry cleaner because it was super close. So I would go into the dry cleaner in the morning for like six, seven hours. And then I would go across the street to the TV station for an eight hour shift to shadow reporters so I could learn how to be a reporter. And I did that like all summer long. And it's in order to help, you know, pay the bills. It's just what you got to do. God bless. Not everybody has that kind of energy. So you would be able to shadow these reporters. I was 19. Yeah, that's a different (laughs) time, I guess. I I couldn't do that now. Thank you. Thank you. I'm all set. Okay, so how, how long did you last at the dry cleaner job? I just did it that summer, like just maybe a summer. couple months. Okay. And then I was like, I'm out. Because I went back to school. I was in Tulsa and then I went back to Stillwater. Um, so I went back to school. Okay. Uh, the Texas theme steakhouse, which shall remain yes. nameless, was it one of the ones where you could eat the peanuts and throw the shells yep. on the ground? Yeah. I know it was, which one. I don't mind saying it. It was you Lone Star that's Steakhouse. What I figured. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't mind. Uh, what, uh, what was that like? So this was um, my, my, this was, a tough situation because they and I don't know that they still do this stuff but when we did it we danced in the aisles we line danced in the aisles to country songs so whenever you're in the middle of service all of a sudden the music would crank up and stop it this would be like this is not true scoot and boogie, this is not true done no uh, oh yeah no. everybody to the everybody to the aisles so you'd be like prepping butter in the back oh in the God. ramekins because we had so much prep work from there was bread, there was butter, there was like rant. We had to make all the salad. Like it was so much prep work. So you'd be prepping butter and the manager would come in and be like, dance time. And you're like, crap. So you have to put it down, run out. And you're like line dancing. And people are like, can I get a refill? <laughs> and you're like, hold I'm on, dancing I here. One, I got one more kick step turn. <laughs> like so bad. And meantime, you're kicking up pe- dirty peanut shells everywhere that have literally come out of people's mouths because people are disgusting. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, like it was, I will say like, it was a fun job. Like I can, I'm one of those people, I can make the best out of any situation. And it was fun. The people I worked with were you know, nice people. There was a lot of sexual shenanigans going on backstage, Obviously. which I was never a part of. Ah. Um, but I always wanted to hear the the juice. Like, tell me what happened. Who hooked up with who last night? Uh, I was such a, I was kind of a nerd. So nobody ever really invited me out to the, the Coke parties or whatever. And <laughs> it's fine. I missed out. It's okay. It's, it's fine. fine. You're not upset about it. Hashtag not bitter. I'm not mad. I'm not yeah. bitter. <laughs> I like a Coke party. Um, <laughs> But I never got invited to those. So, um, but I will never forget this one time. It was a particularly busy dinner rush. And as you can imagine, there's a certain type of clientele that goes to a restaurant like this in Oklahoma. You know, they want their steak. They want their spicy Rita. And they want, you know, like a a, a Miller Lite or whatever. Coors Light. Coors. So um, I got this table. I got sat with this big table. There's probably like eight people. Got them their drinks. 
And I don't know if I just wasn't moving fast enough for them or just didn't like their inappropriate advances uh, when the guy smacked me on the butt. Ma'am. Yes. Mm -hmm. But they were not happy with me. And I was like, oh, no, we're not. He he put his hands on me. uh, And that happened a lot. I was like, this is not that kind of a... This is not that kind of a, uh, a roadhouse. You know what I'm saying? So, because uh, we also had to wear these like shorty shorts. They, it wasn't Hooters short, but they were definitely like, they were short shorts. And um, I wasn't the sexiest waiter waitress, I guess, that they thought. And this guy like, you know, hit me on the butt. And I was like, absolutely not. So I walked away and went to my manager. And I said, this guy, this table is, I can't. And my manager went over and said, don't put your hands on our waitresses, please. You know, Good. we're going to be swapping Heather out with another waiter. And the they were mad. They were really mad. And um, they did not tip the other waiter because of it. And he was mad at me then because he was like, I got your crappy table. They gave me shit all night. And, you know, and I was like, sorry. That was hands down one of the worst customer service experiences I've ever had because it was like this, they felt entitled to be like, I don't know where they thought they were. I was like, we're at a family, you're at a family steakhouse. Yes. We line dance and we have fun. They make it a party, you know, and there's drinking and whatnot, but it was way, way out of line. I just can't, no part of my brain can even Mm -hmm. understand the thought process that makes Mm -hmm. you as a human being think I can physically connect with this other human a in a sexual way and b in a way that is not being reciprocated and see when they are at their job mm-hmm. like even even you know people that work at strip clubs there's a consent element to some of yep. that and i i just yeah. where where there was no champagne room at none. the steakhouse yes <laughs> <laughs> shout out to chris rock yes like right. i don't understand <laughs> Like, I try to think of myself at my most wild when I was just like living, no consequences, who cares? It's like, I jumped out of a plane. I didn't put hands on people. Like, it's such yeah. a weird, I don't get it's that. A weird, it's a weird entitlement thing. And I think, um, and I think, you know, people make choices when they're drunk that yeah. they probably wouldn't, they sometimes would. And that's not a, an excuse. I think it's more of maybe, you know, an explanation or sure. maybe an understanding, but yeah, I mean, I, I that was the one and only time anything like that had ever happened to me, though. I, I yeah, I'm glad that the manager stepped in and took care of it, though. You're lucky. I know that there's a lot of times that they wouldn't have. They'd have been just like, so what? Move on. You know, yeah, yeah. but we had a really good uh, manager who stepped in and, and was like, we're not going to do that. Um, wow. But yeah. I just, that for sure, when I was thinking about this show, I was like, oh, for sure. That's definitely something that happened to me that, that I think about the waitresses who are at a Hooters type restaurant Mm -hmm. where physically they are exposing themselves a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that happens to them a lot. Like if they're physically touched and have hands put on them a lot. Um, There is, there is an, ownership i think that in those types of settings that people feel like oh i'm here to look at you and also eat the food and when you're performing and serving like i don't know i don't know if if people think there's a gray area there there isn't like let's be clear there isn't 
But I wonder if they think that maybe because it's, oh, it's a show too. You know what I mean? It's a really good question. And it makes me want, I just wrote down, I should get a Hooter server on here. I, I don't know. Yeah. I will say that, um, shout out to Caitlin Bailey, former guest of the podcast who uh, used to do sex work and talked about how the times she felt the most degraded and the most disgusting were in restaurant jobs where mm-hmm. either management yeah. and or customers were putting their hands on her because she said there was no consent. I was not participating. It was happening yeah. to me or at me. And I think that distinction is so important because I think we spend our time to your point, like, well, if they're dressed that way, they were asking for it, you know, they're at this job. There's there's definitely that assumption. And um, yeah, and it's just, it's unfortunate because it was a family restaurant. Yeah. It should never, it never should happen. Good for you for also talking to the manager because I don't know at that age that I would have had the guts. I probably would have just taken it on the chin and cried and been mad. But good for you for involving a manager (laughs) and saying, this isn't, this isn't how you're going to interact with my body. Exactly. Um, So you mentioned a bagel shop that you were fired from. What happened there? (laughs) So I, this was a job that I really loved because free bagels all day, every day. And coffee, like, like the dream. I was living the dream and I was in college. And, um, I, it was a drive through. So there was drive through work involved, which, you know, is always another level of intensity when you're, you're, cause at this particular job, we had to take the drive through orders and then make the food. So it wasn't, there was somebody else there making the food. So we're typing in the order. Okay. Bagel, blah, 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 coffee, you know, whatever. Somebody else would make the coffee, but we would make the food. And, um, so it was very intense. There was a very stressful job and it opened at six in the morning in a college town mind you who's coming through at 6 a.m unless they're still out from the night before honestly yes those people but also just like i don't know i I never understood why we needed to be open at 6 a.m it was brutal and my manager always scheduled me for the 6 a.m shift because she knew i was reliable i would show up on time and you know i was i didn't mind doing the drive-through um so yeah i um I had gone out the night before. <laughs> I don't even remember what I was doing, but I was partying and I just Coke party. did not want to go into work the next day. I get like it. I get it. I just I just wasn't feeling like I'm tired, you know, and I was like a 20-year-old and I just didn't want to go in. So <laughs> I called in sick and the manager was so mad, but she didn't say anything to me. Uh, not a word to me. I found out I was fired when I showed up the next day for my shift and I had been taken off the schedule. This, and this the, guy is... who, the guy who was prepping in the back was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm getting ready to work. What are you doing here? And he was like, uh, you don't work here anymore. And I was like, what? And he goes, go look at the schedule. And I was like, what? This manager who was also, a, you know, maybe 21, 22 years old, Instead of telling me or calling me and going, hey, this is unacceptable. You can't call in sick a few hours before your shift, whatever, which also is asinine because I had literally shown up for every other shift for like a year. Also, what if you had the flu and you were vomiting and shitting everywhere? Like what? Like, sorry, there was no conversation at all. So um, I went over, I looked at the schedule. My name had been scratched out for the next two weeks of schedules. So I called her and I was like, Hey, what's going on? Like, I see that I'm off the schedule. And she's like, yeah, we just can't have this anymore. Like, you can't, um, you can't call out sick like that. And I was like, but what if I was sick? And she's like, but you weren't. Everyone said they saw you at the bar. And I was like, mm, okay. And so I just, I couldn't, I didn't fight it. 
I should have maybe pushed back a little more, but she had made up her mind and already scratched off my name from the schedule. This was so long ago. There was no email schedules. But yeah, like I just, it was such a bummer because I was like, man, I slipped up one One time. time. Yeah. And that I think also kind of propelled my work ethic a little bit more because I'm like, geez, one time I, I, I can't mess up. Yeah. Like I don't want to lose my job. There's always this fear that's sort of instilled in us that we're going to lose our jobs and they don't and you know can't be without a job in this economy (laughs) um so i think it that incidents like that have always sort of fueled this need to be like i i don't want to get fired that's like one of the only jobs i've ever been fired from i was let go with because of staffing layoffs of one jobs one job but um that's the only job i've ever been fired from well and it's such a horrible well, it's a weird position, too, because it was essentially a peer that was firing you yeah. who was acting yeah. out and doing terrible leadership by not calling you. Yes. I had yeah. I was fired from a job that way where I was just taken off the schedule and then I filed for unemployment because I was so screwed. And the owner pushed back and said she quit. And I was like, <gasps> I erased my name. I took my name off the schedule. Like I, I oh, did no. that when I'm desperate for money and don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Like d- come at me, bro. I won that case. Uh, yeah. You. I, thank you. I just, that's such a wild, I mean, I guess she was young too, but, but mm-hmm. one time, like one time, I, I would be real one salty. Time and she was like, we're done. And then, you know, she's like, now I'm short staffed. Yeah. Like, you well, dumb fuck. Now, yeah. You gotta, now yeah. you gotta cover all the 6am's. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what exactly. an idiot. Exactly. Look, pride cometh before the fall. Isn't that what they say? Okay. <laughs> so you said a high-end restaurant in Oklahoma. Um, yeah. So in Stillwater, this guy had, he was like an investor or something. He was one of those like permanent college guys that never wanted to leave college. Mm-hmm. Like he, So he'd been in Stillwater forever. He bought an old house on the edge of town and transformed it into a restaurant and it's tried cool. to make it seem like it was this like bougie rest, you know, like intimate whatever but it looked like your grandma's house okay that he had just put up little tables all around it was dark there was weird rooms there wasn't like like when you walk into a house you see there's like a wall for the living room and a wall for the kitchen and like not an open floor plan (laughs) this was this was your mima's house (laughs) yeah okay got it Um, (laughs) and the chef was 100% coked out all the time Heather rage on us there's no way no way that's possible somebody's eating (laughs) somebody's eating the fettuccine Alfredo and we'd be like (laughs) hashtag coke party ate all the bread (laughs) and you're like oh god (gasps) was it me it was totally me um (sighs) we used to have the most amazing spinach and artichoke dip like we're talking like orgasmic level like oh my god it was so good and when you're a poor like broke college kid and someone's making something you want to eat. Like, yeah, we ate the dip. Like we were all be huddled around like rats, like, (laughs) you know, just couldn't get enough of it because we hadn't eaten or whatever. I want to make me sound like I was like starving, but, um, I mean, you were a college kid, college kid, broke college kid. So the chef was always coked out of his mind, screaming at us. And the owner thought that it would up the level of the fancy of his restaurant by having us all make bananas foster table side. No. Can you please explain to people what bananas foster is in case they don't know? Shoot me in the face. So we had this cart that we would push around. It was this janky old cart that was like, it was like wobbly on this uneven, you know, hard wooden floors of this old house. 
And we would push this cart up to the tables and we would take the bananas and um, we would slice bananas. We put them in this pan, which had an open like flame, one of those portable like, you know, um, flames, portable uh, stovetop things. Mm -hmm. And we would saute the bananas and then we would put butter and sugar and rum. And then while it was simmering, we would light it on fire in front of everyone for the big show. And then we would pour it over ice cream and be like, enjoy your dessert. And then scooch the cart away. <laughs> What's so, so funny. Fancy. But like Mima's houses all have, have a bunch of curtains and wallpaper and yep. books everywhere. So like yes. lighting things aflame in, in your Mima's so house stupid. is dumb. It's a dumb move. It's so dumb. Cool. It was so dumb. And, and of course, everybody wanted it. Everybody wanted the show because we'd be like, would you like? Bananas Foster's dessert and they're like oh is that the thing with the flame <laughs> yes it is everybody wanted it so all night you know you're like trying to get this you know what's left of the bread and the fettuccine out to everybody oh, and Lord. then you're like hoisting up the the flambe what's left so, of the bread that was wild <laughs> uh yeah no thanks uh how long did you last at that job like a couple months maybe like maybe four or five months and okay then I was like this is too stressful I couldn't be screamed at anymore by the, sh the chef he was nuts. That's shocking. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, you're not a long, your long standing relationships with jobs is not, uh, that's because you had a goal. You were like, I'm getting through school. I'm going to get out of yeah. these jobs. Now, when yeah. you, uh, we're going to get to the Starbucks and the tour guide in just a minute, but I want to understand mm -hmm. where was the shift in these jobs where you were like, oh, people be pretty people-y. Like, this is, I no longer, the rose colored glasses have come off. Like, do you have a particular I mean, I think, job? I think probably at the at the steakhouse at Lone steakhouse for yeah. sure i was like oh people are rude and then i don't remember people being particularly rude at the restaurant because they were usually at the Stillwater restaurant because they were usually there on a date and they were trying to impress like it was like college kids who were trying to impress their dates and sweet you know a few of the older people in the community on their fancy night out um i don't remember anybody being particularly rude there it was mostly the the staff i think probably at lone star and then i think Working at Starbucks inside Barnes and Noble was tough because people would, you know, people are very crazy about their coffee. They wanted a certain way and I had to remake stuff and, you know. What was, yeah. Was it different because, I mean, I know that inside of a, you would think inside of a bookstore, there'd be a bit less of the pressure of like, I need my coffee. I need to go to work. I need my coffee. I need to go. Like, that. was it more of the like, oh, I want to taste the like note. It was very, it was very slow. Like, I don't remember there being like a huge morning rush. It was a way more chill. Like if you're going to work at a Starbucks, I, I, I would say that's the way to go. Yeah. Um, because it was, it was just very chill. But I do remember people, you know, being like, what's taking so long or, you know, a few times for sure. But I, I have such like hazy memory of that time in my life because that's when I was also, I had my first job as a reporter in, um, out of college. And I was working in St. Joe, Missouri at a very, very small market there. I was an anchor and a reporter and I made $13,000 a year. You can't, you couldn't live on that then. Wage. No. So I had a couple of jobs. And so on the weekends, I would drive into Kansas City, Northern Kansas City and work at the Starbucks in, inside the Barnes & Noble. And then during the week, I would drive back up and um, do my job as a reporter. We, I had to. 
we've I, shout out to uh, I keep doing this in your episode. You're making me think of other people. Uh, shout out to Chester Lampkin, who is now a meteorologist in the D.C. market. He talked about being a meteorologist where you're needing to be camera ready and you need to do all the studying, you know, the night before, the day before, whatever. And you're having to do exactly what you just described. And it's like you're mm-hmm. not sleeping, but you're expected to be yeah. ready for camera. It's like mm-hmm. you're going to look tired because they don't pay them anything either. How were you? Were you on camera? Yes, that reminds me, like you said, this did remind me, I completely forgot. So during that time, I stopped making the drive once I quit the job at Starbucks because I couldn't keep up the drive back and forth. It was like an hour each way, hour and a half each way. So I stopped doing that and I got a job at Dillard's department store um, that was in St. Joe and that's a clothing store. And so what I would do is I would go into Dillard's for my shift at nine o'clock in the morning and I would work there until one and then I would leave, go to the TV station and then work all night. But I did that so that I could get money for clothes because somebody called the TV station once after one of my live shots. And no, this is so horrible. This is where people are horrible. And uh, this uh, somebody called the news station and I answered the phone after my live shot because it's a small station. Like there was only two of us in the newsroom and I answered the phone and somebody goes, Will you tell that girl, Heather, to stop wearing the same jacket night after night? It looks like she pulled it up from the floorboards. It's all wrinkled. She's a mess. Tell her to get some new clothes. And I was like, I'll pass on the message. (laughs) (laughs) Now, mind you, I'm like 21 years old. This is my first job. You don't have any money? I had no money. I had $13,000. I was paying my own rent. I paid my own car payment. It was horrible and it was super embarrassing. And so I got the job at Dillard so that I could afford to buy clothes for my um, reporting job. How do they, I mean, I try to, Chester didn't know the answer to this either, but like, how do they justify paying on, I know that it's a smaller market, but you're on camera. It's because so many people want want the job and they're like, oh, okay, well then we know we're going to have a hundred applicants for this for this job. So let's save as much money as we can because they know people are going to want to do it. Gross. And that's ultimately what it is. It was just a highly competitive. I don't know if it's still that same way, but I have a feeling it is. Journalism is a a really competitive industry. And it's, yeah. yeah. So uh, $13,000 a year. And I thought I'd hit the jackpot. I was like, it's money, baby. It's less than a grand a month after taxes, but it's money. So horrible. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, to your last customer service job, the Mm -hmm. tram tour guide. Oh, yes. Now, I have two questions up top so that people will get, who haven't been to Universal will understand kind of what it is. So I know that there is a binder that is like the size of the encyclopedia of shit you have to memorize. Mm -hmm. Are you also writing your own kind of script or can you go off of that? Or is it verbatim you're saying exactly what's in that binder? You are tested on what's in the binder. You have to say the script um, that they have for you. You are tested on um, what they call stall material. Yes. So um, you're given a section, a couple sections of the binder that is your stall material so that if something on the tour, the tour breaks down or there is some, you know, production that's halted the tour uh, up ahead, you have to be able to talk about something with some knowledge and expertise um, for a few minutes. Vamp. And um, yeah, vamp. Yeah. (laughs) So you're given your stall material topics and uh, mine was weather effects. So I had to learn how to talk about weather effects. That's what I picked. 
the rest of it though, yes, you have, because you have certain points in the tour that you have to play a video, you have to um, point things out. And the thing with the tour is that it changes almost every day if there's a production on the lot. So if there's a production in some of the sound stages, you're going to, the, the tram is routed around those and you may be sent in a different direction. So this day I may be talking about stages 24 and 25, but the next day I'm rerouted and I'm talking about something else. And so it's definitely keeps you on your toes, but there is a lot of room for improv and a lot of room for you to insert your own humor, which for a, a young improviser and someone who is a young in a comedy, like it's so, the I best. don't keep saying young, anybody can do it. But if you're into improv and you're into comedy, it was like so much fun Did, in that way. And can you also explain to people, because I know this just from people who have done it, it's an ultra competitive audition-based job. Yes. So how did you yes. get in it? So when I auditioned to be a tour guide, they I had seen an ad, I think on like Craigslist even. Like it was like just so random as I was looking for a job. I worked in news at the time and I just quit my job here in town at um, CBS and I needed a break. I was like, I don't want to work in news anymore. I want to do something fun and silly that allows me to have fun and I was kind of burnt out on the service industry. So I was like, I don't really want to go into waiting tables or anything like that again. So I was looking for something that was an alternative. And I saw this and I was like, oh, fun. And it said, you know, auditions this day, this time show up. I got there. There was a couple hundred people mm-hmm. it's wild. online. For like five positions because the turnover oh, is not a lot. Yeah. No, it isn't. Um, There are people that have been there 20 plus years, Mm -hmm. 17 plus years. So um, I waited in line for about an hour, hour and a half. And then you go into this room. They do it differently now. It's all virtually now. Um, But you went into this room and um, I met with the, basically he was the manager of the studio tour. Um, And there was the director and then there was somebody that was over training and they were anyway, they were bringing people in one at a time. You sat down, you had a quick one to one on one face to face meeting with them. And I got so lucky because the guy that interviewed me, his name was Randall. And I walked in and Randall goes, and I went like immediately. I was like, oh, a gay. (laughs) I was was like, we're going to be friends. And he was so excited. And I mean, he just big joyful smile and I was smiling from ear to ear. So um, we immediately had had a connection and chatted and he was like, well, I think you're great. And I was like, thanks so much. So then what they do is they're like, we'll call you and let you know. And I was like, okay. So later that night, we got a call that said, you've been invited to the second round of auditions. And it was like, oh my God. So um, we go to the second round of auditions at the Beverly Garland Hotel. There was about 50 people that had been cut down from 350, 400 there was 50 of us. They brought us in groups up the stage. We had to read from a script. We had to improvise. We had to talk about ourselves. And then we, they were like, okay, okay, okay. Took a quick break. And they were like, all right, um, thank yous to number four, number seven, number nine, number 22, blah, 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 blah. Thank you for coming. All those people get up and leave. Everybody else back on stage. We had to do another read from the script. And then they made further cuts. And the remaining 25 got to go on to the training program. And the training program was three weeks long on the tram. Um, Some of it was in the classroom. Some of it was on the tram. And then if you made it past the training portion where you had to basically give the whole tour, 
and work on your and show off your stall material and all that stuff. It was a very intense process. And then at the end, um, you basically got like your bid card, your your whatever, your your golden ticket to go on to Hollywood. And um, they took 20 of us for my training class. So they cut five people from that final training um, and they took 20 of us. And then two people dropped out like the first week because they didn't want to wear the uniforms. Um, you go through that whole process and not realize yeah. there's a uniform involved. You an idiot. This girl who she was from England, she was British and she uh, was dating Nikki Six, the drummer from Motley Crue. And sure. she loved to tell us about that because she I'm would show sure. up and be like, oh, look, look at this bag Nikki bought me today. Oh, like and we're like, oh, that's OK, like a $500 coach bag. Um, why do you need this? Yeah, why do you? Why job? are you doing this job? That's what why I think. Here and she, she's like, Nikki said I need a job, so I'm getting a job. And we're like, okay. So anyway, she put the uniform on, had a full-on panic attack, and was like, I can't do this. This is hideous. I'm out. And so she quit. Okay. So there was like 19 of us going into um, who got hired from my class. Over a, the next year or so, that would be cut in half and then a further half. I stayed there for five years. I worked there for five years as a tour guide. That's your most, that's your and longest tenure of a customer service that's job. That's my longest wow. tenure. Yeah. And um, I got, I worked my web to a VIP guide, which was a different, you know, another you layer of training, more mm -hmm. in depth and more money. Yeah. And um, I left uh, because I got pregnant and I didn't want to give the tours anymore, just waddling around or sitting on the tram with, you know, my, with a big belly. Um, but there are people from my class who are still there and have been there for sev 16 years. Holy 16 crap. Years. Does it, yeah. it, does it come with health benefits? Like, does it, are you in the system with them? No. I didn't think so. Not unless you, not unless you get, I think to a certain number of average hours. hours. Cause it's a, it's like a union. Hour, yeah. It's Agva, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you're uh, I think it's, I, I, it might be IATSE. Oh, Okay. I think so. Honestly, I don't remember. I don't even know if I paid my union dues when I was there because I was for like, shame, yeah, Heather, that. for shame. I know. Well, it, I think it came automatically out of my check. Yeah. I don't think I like wrote, wrote them anything, but, um, it, it, um, if you get a certain number of hours on average, then I think you qualify for health insurance. And did they, was the training paid? That three weeks of training? Yes. Oh, okay. I yes. was like, well, watch yeah, that okay. not be. It was like $8 an hour. Okay. What's the weirdest thing somebody asked you or like tried to do during a tram that you can remember? Hmm. Weirdest thing somebody asked me. I don't know. I mean, people would ask all the time, like, you know, who they were going to see. Like, are we going to see any celebrities? Like, that was a big thing. And I was always like, it was our job to make it seem like celebrities were just around, around the corner. corner. Yeah. But they never were. Yeah. And I'd always be like, yeah, sure. People were like, who are we going to see on the tour today? And I'm like, I don't know. Me, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Jaws, he's coming. <laughs> yeah, watch out for Bruce. Um, it, uh, yeah, there was a lot of questions like that. Like, I always just, where's the bathroom? I would tell people what filmed on the whole lot and then they would go, what filmed here? And I'm like, what have I been talk? doing for the past hour? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the most embarrassing things that I did, um, I'm sure I'll come up with, I'll realize all the like awkward stories, of course, when we're done talking, but I, um, I love talking to the drivers. The tour guide drivers mm -hmm. are just the most fun, really cool. 
I remember I was on a tour once and I was talking to the driver and we were talking about what we're going to do after work. And I was like, oh my God, there's going to be this really fun party. I can't wait to go. Blah, 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 blah. And then I would Hashtag pop Coke my party. mic back on, give the tour and then mute it and then blah, 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 blah. Well, at the end of the tour, this woman comes up to me and she goes, I just want you to know that we could hear every word you were saying. We know where you're going tonight, where your party is. Like you didn't mute yourself and we heard every word you're saying and it was the worst tour we've ever had. And I was like, oh, thank you for coming. Have a good day. <laughs> you can say this Bye. Way. Bye. <laughs> and then I just like ran away. I was horrified because I was like swearing. Like, I was it's just like, off mic. You're like, I, they can't oh, hear this. So bad. I 100 percent should have been fired. 100. percent Well, they let you. They bad. let you stay. You 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 were they tenured. Did. That's good. Um, yeah. Did anything any medical emergency ever happen whilst that people were on the tour? Yeah, I figured that happened a couple of times when people. Um, I think there was one time a woman um, got on when she was pregnant. And when you go into, there's an earthquake simulation. Oh, yeah. She started freaking out. Even though we have signs everywhere, we tell people in the beginning, for, you know, the safety rules and all of that. She started freaking out. So she pulled the emergency cord. And when that happens, everything shuts down. Um, we have to bring in emergency crews, pull her off the tram, get her, you know, we had to have a, a car, take her back up to the lot. Um, people would drop phones all the time and pull the cord. We have to stop. I have to get out and like look for stuff. Uh, we had someone with special needs um, that could not handle the, it was overstimulated yeah. um, in some of the portions. So we had to stop and call someone and help them um, get off. So it was things like that a lot that people just were not aware mostly of what they were getting into and what was happening. And then they would go ahead and get on anyway and realize it was too much. So yeah, there were there was quite a few times like that where we had to help people get off the tour. Yeah, I worked at Universal as an actor for the Halloween thing. And like I, yeah. the number of times... Character. Yes, I was. <laughs> Thank you. It was amazing. Um, the number of times we would have to shut down an entire haunted house and like the, the brights would come on and we'd have to go hide and get people out because they just couldn't. I mean, fear is a different... And, and there are aspects yeah. of that tour, the backlot tour, that even without the Halloween thing are scary. The simulated earthquake is not if you're not living in L.A., you don't know how bad it can get and you don't maybe realize it's like a simulation. But, yeah, it's an interesting because I know that Universal has their own fire station and EMT station and they have their own mini Mm -hmm. hospital because it's Mm -hmm. such a big property that when stuff like that happens. Yeah, it's a uh, it's wild for people who Mm -hmm. I forget when you don't live in L.A. and you don't realize how big studios are. They're their own cities because they're so big that once you're plugged into that system as an employee, it's real hard to get out of it, especially as an actor. Cause you're like, well, I'm acting. So I'm like, I'm doing it's stuff. Performing. And as a, yeah. And being a tour guide is performing. I mean, it truly yeah. is. So yeah, there yeah. was something, there was something, um, we used to talk about it in the break room all the time where it was like, Oh, this must be like similar to what it's like to be on Broadway, Broadway. because you're performing the same script over and over again, sometimes four or five times a day. Mm-hmm. And you have to make it seem fresh and interesting every single time. And when you're doing that for years and years and years, like at least on Broadway, maybe you do a show for a year or a couple of years or however long your contract is. But like the tour, some like I said, some people have been there 16, 17 years and they're just saying the same thing over and over and over again because the script really hasn't changed that much. So, yeah, there's a lot of monotony in the tour. So I'm sorry for anybody who gets a tour guide that's on their <laughs> fifth tour of the day. Oh, it's Go brutal. early in the morning. That's my recommendation. Go early in the morning because everyone's fresh. They've had their coffee. Yeah, they're not um, annoyed. If you're 
Yeah. Or go on the, what we call the LTD, the last tram of the day, because then all bets are off. Nobody gives any Fs anymore. And they're like, I don't know what filmed over here. Who cares? <laughs> We're having the best time. They're three cocktails Woo! deep. They're like, I'm not yes. driving. Who cares? Exactly. Uh, okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go back to my regular questions. What was your favorite job of all of the customer service jobs you've mentioned? That's a toss up between the gap and the tour, the studio tour, because I made so many wonderful friends there. But I think probably um, probably studio tour because I got a chance to bring in my personality. Yeah. And and there's that performance element that we were just talking about. And also, I just love the people that I worked with. It was like minded actors. We were all goofy and silly. It was like extension of college, essentially. Yeah. Really fun job. It feels like a theater kids like nerd. out. I love nerding out with other theater kids. And that's kind of what that feels like. Have you seen the previews for that new movie theater camp with Ben Platt? No. You have to watch it. It is it is like wet, hot American summer. But for theater camp. How has that not been made yet? I am already in. I will buy I tickets know. for opening weekend. I'm I'm here for know. that. And I think that some I think the trailer looks really funny and I was like, oh my God, I'm totally into this. I like yeah, Ben Platt. So yeah. Okay, good. Um, what was your uh, f- uh, least favorite of all of those jobs? I think I know, but go ahead. Again, it's a toss up probably between Lone Star Steakhouse and um, the dry cleaners, but probably the dry cleaners just because of the ick factor of digging through strangers pockets and pulling out gum and whatever was in there and stains. Yeah, I didn't hyper I didn't fixate on it enough when you brought it up. I didn't realize that that of that aspect of dry cleaning because I hate going because I hate spending that money. So I only bring them my winter sweaters and I'm like, I don't want to like these are right before I store them because I didn't wash them all seasons. They probably don't smell very good, but it's such a it's such a like I can't imagine. It's just gross. Just digging through people's dirty, stinky clothes and you're just like, and then I'm going to mark your stains. (laughs) God. And like try to guess, play guess the stain. Like, no, thanks. Yes, the state. And they're like, I don't know what this is. And I'm like, well, it's brown. So <laughs> who knows? It's not water, sir. It okay. Smell like chocolate. <laughs> What's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock? Um, weirdest thing I've been asked to do while on the clock. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, oh, my God. Nothing like dead silence on a podcast. Um, I'm not editing it out. We're keeping it in. Just okay. sit here for the next 10 minutes. Just see how long it goes. <laughs> um, I don't know. I honestly can't think of anything that sticks out as particularly weird or unusual. Um, I think it's because you already told the cat vomit on the couch story. I think that's yeah, a pretty... Yeah, I think that's probably it. Yeah, that's I was going to say, that, that's probably it. It's pretty disgusting. Could you please mark mark my cat vomit stains? That sure. was a little... That was a bit, a bit much. And you couldn't say no to that. That's a wild. I couldn't. I was like, okay, thing. let me get the tape. Let me get the tape. Um, was there ever an incident that made them ask to speak to your manager? I doubt it. You don't have that kind of personality. That made them, them. want to speak to the manager? Yeah. No. Yeah, I don't I think, think so. so. I mean, unless that lady who, who said she was going to go to customer service um, and complain or whatever after my after my incident on the tram. You would have heard Universal doesn't yeah. play with stuff like that. They would have no, pulled you aside and been heard, like, but yeah. I don't think she ever. Uh, I don't think she ever did. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't recall ever having a moment where someone was like, "Let me speak to your manager." I'm sure it. Ha- I'm sure it happened. No. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been stiffed when you worked any of these customer service jobs that were tipped? Oh, for sure. Okay. At the steakhouse, for sure. Yeah, like people come in, order a hundred dollars worth of steak and drinks, and then give me like eighty cents. <sighs> would you get annoyed when they would leave change? Um. Yeah, but. 
I mean, it's still money. Like I like I'd be like, whatever, I'll take it as long as it's money. I mean, if it was like that was all they left me, then I'd be like, well, that's really crappy. Yeah. Okay. And um, who could you give us last question in this section? Can you give us the ex- an example of the worst customer? You can't say the guy that grabbed your ass because so obviously he's the worst. But right. uh, or like an incident with the worst customer or an archetype of who the worst customer is in a customer service setting. I think I think the worst kind of customer that comes in is someone that has no empathy or understanding of what your job is in service. People who come in and they think you're just this automaton who is there to serve them at their pleasure and whatever they need, whatever, like we're just supposed to bend over backwards and do whatever it takes to make them happy without any understanding that that of how hard it is. And like you, sure, I may be here serving your margarita and your fried onions, but I also have 5 million things in the back to do, 10 other tables, a manager that's yelling at me to get faster and a dance that I haven't learned yet that I know I'm going to do in 10 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Like there's there's yeah. a lot, when you're a server especially, there's a lot going on yeah. in your head at one time. Maybe another table just yelled at you and now you have to walk up and greet a whole new table and start that process all over again. So I think that like one of the worst things you can do if, if you're a customer going in is to not have some empathy with someone. Yeah. And I don't, I don't subscribe to, and I heard somebody say this on a previous podcast, your previous podcast too, is I don't subscribe to the customer is always right. Um, but I also don't subscribe to the server is always right either. Cause I've had some really terrible service and I go out of my way to be nice to the server. Cause I know it's a hard job or in any customer service job. But um, I definitely try to approach every service job, whether I'm ordering something at a kiosk in the mall, whether I'm buying clothes or whatever, to have some empathy because I've been in those jobs. I know what it's like. I know they're not making a ton of money. I know Mm -hmm. somebody before me maybe was just really crappy to them. So just having empathy for people in general is um, something I wish more people did. Awesome. Well, we're going to move on to the good stuff. We hope you saved room for dessert. What is the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? Or like a tram guest Um, or whatever. Go ahead. Yeah. uh, So I had many tram guests who we used to have this thing called a high five, a tour guide high five. Many tram guests would go up to my manager or my supervisor or customer service and say, we had the best tour with Heather. She was so great. And that was always such a nice feeling. Honestly, something that I try to do in my real life, if I have had wonderful service or somebody made something really special or I feel like they were really you know, added to my experience in some way, I will go to their manager, the manager or the supervisor. And I know they always think, oh no, look at this Karen coming up to say something. Like I know they're expecting the worst, but I go out of my way to go tell that supervisor, like our server was wonderful. She went above and beyond and we had the best experience here because of her and will come back because of her or him. I just did that a couple of weeks ago at Olive Garden because the very nice lady who waited on us was like so nice. She gave us recommendations. And then at the end, she like hooked us all up with mints, you know, like extra mints and was just super nice. It is really nice. Fun and friendly. Yes. And like, it, it wasn't like she was like, I'm going to be your best friend. She just had a pleasant, we had a really great experience because of her. So I made sure I told her supervisor that and the supervisor was like, okay, thank you so much. Yeah, that's great to know. 
we're so quick as a society to call it people's faults and say, you did this wrong or this person didn't do this. And people don't take the time to say when something was good, when you, when something nice and wonderful happened. So I try to do that in my own life. That's lovely. And uh, so would you get high fives? Like they would give them to you. Cause we had a version of this too, where yes. you would, it would eventually give you like gift cards for stuff, right? Like it yes. was like, you get enough yeah. of them. You stack up your high, you collect your high fives and you get like a gift card or it's kind of, you know, extra time, a day, extra day off or something. Like I'm not 16 anymore. And you know what I would love? I would love an occasional high five where I can go get a gift card. Cause it will make me work harder. Like, I don't care. Yeah. I could be 82 and I would still like, you're acknowledging me. Thanks everybody. Just some, just some incentive Small. and some acknowledgement of of a job well, well done. done. And That's in right. customer service, it's not easy. It's mm-hmm. not easy work. And so and you, just some acknowledgement. That's all. Yeah. I think. And and monetary. Um, anything monetary is always appreciated. Okay. Like, don't make me come to your the after work pizza party. I want to do that. <laughs> just give me the ca- give me, the cash. Give me a gift card. Even if it's cash. five bucks, yeah. fine. You spent more on pizza. Exactly. Um, can, exactly. Can you describe your favorite customer interaction that you had or a customer that sticks out? Mm, I mean, I remember when I was at the Gap all those years ago, like all these sweet little ladies. Um, there was one particular who would always come in every week and she knew, I mean, I'd been every week, but every couple of weeks. And she would always look for me and like we had the most lovely, you know, I would help her find things for herself, but also for her grandkids. Oh. and she was just nice, just a nice rich old lady that wanted to shop at the Gap and, you know, kind of remind like his grandmotherly figure. So yeah, I, that was definitely a sweet moment. So there are good people out there who there know are. how to behave there are. as customers. They just seem fewer and far between these days. Yeah, or it takes like 10 of them to make up for one asshole. Right, right. What's the best tip you've ever gotten in any of these jobs? Um, Monetarily. Also as a tour guide, yeah. Okay. Also, it's, unless you count finding money in people's pockets at the dry cleaning. <laughs> Would you get to keep that? Oh, hell yeah. I'd like, be like, $20. Woo! woo. <laughs> I'm going to buy lunch today. I got, I would get like tips, a couple hundred dollars as a VIP tour guide. You would Damn. get tips. If you had celebrities as your guests or celebrities that come through, they would tip you generally pretty well. Some celebrities didn't at all, which was surprising. Can you name um, names? I mean... Yeah, I remember Jamie Kennedy once. I had him for Halloween Horror Nights. He's a mess. And he was, um, I was with his group and I was his tour guide all night, like keeping people away or like helping navigate through rides and stuff like that. And at the end of the night, he was like, come here. All right, thank you. You're awesome. And I was like, bro, I've been with you for seven hours. (laughs) Really? Wow. (laughs) Nothing. He was very nice though, which is great. But I just... And I don't know if he just didn't maybe put the connection together. Nah, that, that he knew. It would have been nice to tip. Stop. He knew. But, You're being very generous. Yeah. He knew. Yeah. Give me the cash, um, bro. But yeah. But um, I also think too, like I probably seemed like a mom figure to him that was just sort of there to usher him along. And but uh, he was really nice, and re- and you know his group was nice. But no, he did not tip. But that happened, you know, a few times with celebrities. And uh, but mostly on, on VIP tours, especially, and sometimes after the regular tram tour, people come up and they would try to give me money. And wow, you know, they told us we weren't allowed to accept tips, which is absolutely insane oh, to me. Shit. Yes, you should. Ab- they should absolutely let the tour guides take tips. You're paying them ten bucks an hour. Let them take 
a little five extra five bucks. Yeah, they're not like, seeking them out. You're not saying at the no. end, if you had a good time, throw it yeah. in the cup. Like they, that's yeah. And they used to, but for VIP tour guys, I would get you know maybe hundred bucks, couple hundred bucks from a group um, if they had a, a if it was I had a good experience. So that's awesome. that was always really nice. What's the best lesson that you have personally learned from working in customer service? I think you know just going back to what I said about empathy, and I think. I also now am a more generous tipper Mm. um, in those situations. And I think also just a wider understanding of different aspects of customer service, because I have had so many varied jobs, like not all my customer service jobs were in a restaurant or in clothing and retail or whatever, because I've had a variety of them. Customer service is in so many aspects of our day-to-day life, from your coffee shop to your dry cleaner, to um, you know anybody who's calling you on the phone to sell something, to the kiosk at the mall, like whatever. It's there's just a lot of different aspects of customer service. Just ha- being more empathetic to people in those situations and realizing they're human beings. They're just trying to make a buck, make their rent, pay their bills. There's no, there's never need to be nasty or unkind. Well, you kind of could. Yeah, you, that combines the next question, uh, the final question, which was one piece of advice you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers. But I think you've just said it just empathy and kindness. Yeah. Those are helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little just a little nugget um, of empathy and kindness can go a long way in that wild. Well, mm-hmm. Heather, the, it was so lovely having you on. What's your TikTok? Can you pitch where the podcast with your family is and like how we can get eyes and ears on you? I know you're doing stand up around LA. So your mm-hmm. dates, people are going to check your site, but could you give us all that information? Yes, they can. Uh, they can check out where I'm going to be doing stand up and performing um, on my website, heatherbrooker.com. And my family and I have a podcast together. It is my husband, Chris, and I, our 10-year-old daughter, Channing. It's the first ever pop culture and family entertainment podcast for parents and kids. And it's such a joy. And we have so much fun together talking about movies and television shows and video games. And you can listen to that on every major podcast platform and also uh, on brokerfamilypopcast.com. And I'm on social media at Heather Brooker, pretty much on all the platforms. So follow me. I love it. And um, just to emphasize, the podcast uh, is family friendly. So there's not cursing and like everybody's listening to it. All ages can listen to it. It's fun. It's a any all welcome, you know, kind of a fun show. Your parents can listen to it in their car with their kids and feel comfortable that we're not going to be swearing or anything like that. I love that. Well, folks, yeah. we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us directly here at Service from Hell, send us your receipts to Service from Hell podcast at gmail.com. We always love hearing from you. Remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Heather, thank you so much for being on. You totally understood the assignment. This was lovely. I have. Oh, and before you go, you have to tell us how to fold the jeans in the way if you can describe it. I know it's probably easier if it's visual, but can you tell us what is the trick on the jeans? So, so at least the way we did it back then is um, you fold your jeans in half and then you pull them lengthwise and you pull up that little like um, nubbin in the crotch area so that everything is straight and flat. Then you take the uh, leg of your jeans and you fold it to the top of the pocket um, where the pocket hits, flatten everything out 
and then you take the bottom and you fold it again right to that top of the pocket. So then you're gonna have about two or three inches of fabric above the pocket, but the majority of the fold is under the pocket. That's uh, I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, it sure <laughs> did. I'm about to change how I fold my jeans because I'm a weirdo. Yay. All right, Heather. <laughs> uh, thank you folks so much for listening. Good night. Good night.